0: Well, good evening, everyone. All right, so we're going to be in Galatians this evening, as Pastor Gino said. We're finishing the book of Galatians, a milestone in our journey in the Scriptures. Galatians chapter 6, we're going to take all 18 verses this evening. In the study, I'm calling the final review, final review. So let's pray. Father, thanks so much for what you have shown us thus far, Lord, and about your grace and Lord, about your mercy, thank you, Lord, for the encouragement, Lord, that we have, Lord, and the hope that we have, and also, Lord, the the exhortation, Lord, to stand firm in our faith and, Lord, the gospel, and now, Lord, as we approach these principles, Lord, this section about applying those things, Lord, um, Lord, we pray for the work of your Spirit to help us, to show us these things, Lord, we thank you that you convict, Lord, you don't condemn And so, Lord, you'll lead us, Lord. You'll never prong us and drive us. And so, Lord, we just ask, Lord, that you would help us to be sheep that are led by your hand, led by your eye, or to always do those things which please the Father. And so help us, Lord, to have that natural response to your grace by living a life surrendered to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one of the things that I hated to hear when I was in school was, class, put away everything you have. Take out a pencil and a piece of paper, you know, and you know what that meant. It meant a test or a quiz. And I wasn't a good student, so it usually meant <laughs> A, B, B, C, D, A, C, B, A, D. And so I, I, was, I, was, I learned to memorize real well um, during that time. Now, while I, while I hated quizzes and thought that my teacher hated me and that she was mean, I did have some mean teachers, by the way. And I was not going to tell you about them, but I'll, I'll have to save those for later. But, anywho, but yeah, I, you know, why I thought my teachers hated me and they were mean, I admit now in my later years that I actually understand that they had a purpose behind it. And I learned that really because, you know, I went to Columbia a couple times and we had to give some quizzes and tests. And so I was like, I'm the mean person now. But there, you know, there actually is a reason behind it. First, it shows the teacher if the class was really paying attention. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, we give homework and stuff when we go to Columbia. It's like, are these guys actually reading the book? And so it helps us to... Uh, to see that. Are they paying attention? Second, it shows the teacher what the class has really learned. And third, it shows the class in what area they need to work on, because there is going to be a final exam, more than likely, at the end of the class. Now, I bring up my scholastic years as a scholar to point this out and what Paul said in verse 4. Look what Paul said. He says, but let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone. And not in another. So the purpose of this quiz that we're gonna to have tonight, Paul is going to help us to examine ourselves as we work through some of these principles in which we see the outworking of grace in our life. And we're you know, we're gonna see these things, and the purpose of these things is not to make us look bad or to condemn us, or you know, and so because of that we shouldn't feel nervous or scared when we approach these things. You know, I always get nervous and super scared when I would take a test, you know, I always start you know, locking up kind of thing. But that's not Paul's purpose in these verses, and that's not the purpose of examining ourselves tonight. But the purpose of this is so we can continue to grow in grace and to show us where where we need to prepare as we will stand in front of the Lord, because one day we will have a final exam, and that final exam is going to be at what's called the reward seat of Christ. Each believer is going to stand in front of the reward seat of Christ, and that's not for salvation. As we learned so far, salvation is by grace through faith alone. We're saved by grace. We're sustained by grace. But each believer is going to stand before the Lord when we die after the rapture, you know, um, and we're going to be rewarded and judged for those things that we have done in this body for Christ. And if those things which were done, um, you know, that we've done were for him and for his glory, well, then we'll be rewarded and we'll be honored there. And so in order to prepare us for this final exam, I want to draw six questions out um, from this text in order to apply to our life and ask ourselves, are we walking in grace? Now maybe you are one of those crazy test takers, you know, who would just like skip all kinds of questions and come back to questions. I never really understood that as a kid. They say, oh yeah, just skip like half the test and go on and do the stuff that you can. I would just go one by one. So I'm teaching tonight, so we're gonna go one by one starting with verse one tonight. So question number one in verse one, do we have a gracious heart towards others? Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And so Paul begins this chapter by addressing believers. He calls them brethren. Now, you and I, we all belong to the family of God. Through our faith in Jesus Christ, we've been adopted in the family of God. We've been declared sons and daughters of God. And now we have this relationship with other believers as if we are brothers and sisters. Now, with that, with that relationship comes responsibility, and we see that here. We have a responsibility towards one another. Specifically, that we're to restore one another when we are overtaken in a trespass. A trespass is a willful sin against the Word and the will of God. Now, a trespass, as we see, is different than living a habitual lifestyle of sin, and so, Paul here is talking about a person, as we saw last week, who is walking with the Lord, but yet they stumble in one of the works of the flesh, or they stumble in the works of the flesh. They fall down, they, they become overtaken. And so, um, you know, they, they've stepped out of line. Paul says, Our responsibility as a believer is to restore that person. Now, the word restore is an interesting, where it was actually used in the Greek culture in, in, you know, in referring to resetting a bone. And so, you know, when they break an arm, you know, someone breaks an arm, they got to reset the bone back in place. Well, that's what this word refers to here. It means to set back in place. And so a believer who's out of line, a believer who's walking in the flesh, you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ have the responsibility to restore that person, to go to that person with the word of God in order to set them back in line. Because ultimately, back in line, walking with the Lord is where they're going to grow. Is, you know, is, That's the place where, you know, where they're going to be healthy and, and where they're going to be most effective. Now, you and I, we have a way that we're to do this. We're to do this in love and also in humility. And also those who do this must be spiritual. Now, don't be afraid of this. You think, oh man, that, okay, that excludes me. But spiritual refers to those who are walking with the Lord. And so if you're walking with the Lord, if you're following God, well, then you have this responsibility to restore such a one. In the spirit of gentleness, this reminds us of how Christ worked in contrast to the scribes and Pharisees. Remember that passage in John chapter 8 where the woman was caught in the act of adultery? The Pharisees grabbed her and brought her forward, and they were going to stone her, and, and Jesus steps on the scene, and he restores her. Now, he didn't give her a license and says, yeah, just do whatever you want. He says, no, go and sin no more, but he forgave her. And the same thing as you and I, as we walk with the Lord, we have a responsibility to not just give a license to sin, to, to come to people with the word, but, but we need to do it in love and gentleness, as Christ would, in order to restore the person and not condemn them. Also, we need to do it in humility humility, understanding the fact that you and I have a flesh and we're just as capable of falling as they were. And so, you know, there is no spiritual hierarchy and elite in the body of Christ. We're all sinners saved by grace. And we're all just as capable of falling as the person who fell into sin. And and as we come, we need to recognize that. That will help us to be humble and to recognize that the true source of wisdom and power comes from God and not you and I. Now question number two in verse two. Are you walking in love towards others? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You and I as a believer in Christ are called to bear each other's burdens. Real simple. Now what is a burden? A burden is an extra heavy load. And so as we see our fellow believers struggling, whether it be with a temptation, a struggle with the flesh, or maybe it's some other test that they're facing in life and it feels like this burden is crushing them, then you and I have a responsibility to come alongside of them, to pray for them and to encourage them. This is in contrast to the attitude that says, church and life is all about me. I don't really care what's going on with you. It's all about me kind of thing, you know? It's, it's in contrast to saying, hey, if you're struggling, don't tell me. Just quit whining and suck it up. <laughs> tell Jesus about it. You're his child, right? No, it's, it's totally contrast to that. You and I, we are a family of God. And just as a close family, you know, is to love one another, as we see in the movies and things, right? No, no, <laughs> no. just as a close family is to love each other and look out for each other and minister to each other. Even so, as the body of Christ Spirit is thicker than blood, right? As people say, no, blood's thicker than water. No, spirit's thicker than blood. And so we should be even closer because we have this bond with Christ to love each other, to look out for each other. Paul says, as we do this, we fulfill the law. We fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus said that this is the new law that he gave us in John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now notice that key phrase, as I have loved you. That's how we're to love one another, as Jesus loved us. Now, specifically talking to the disciples, we know how Jesus loved them, and we know how Jesus loves us, right, personally. But just think about how Jesus loved his disciples. He was patient with them. Even when they were complaining, you know, all the time about things, Jesus was still patient with them. Even when they were talking about who was going to be the greatest, and Jesus says, guys, I'm going to go to the cross. He says, that's great, Lord, but we want to talk about who's going to be the greatest right now. Jesus was compassionate with them. He was merciful with them. He was even concerned with them as he was going to the cross. He prayed for them. One of the greatest prayers in Scripture, his high priest, uh, priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He says, Lord, I pray for them, and I also don't pray for them only, but all those who will come to me through them. The Lord was concerned for others, and that's how we're to live as believers. We're to live outwardly, to be concerned with others. And the only true way that we can do this is by being consumed by the Lord, right? The only way that we can do this is by abiding in grace, is by walking in the Spirit. And as we do that, then the Lord will naturally work through our lives in this way. Uh, uh, Question number three in verses three through five, are you walking in humility, For if anyone thinks himself to be something, he is nothing, he deceives himself. That's a pretty great verse, right? He who thinks himself something, he is nothing, he deceives himself. It's almost like a proverb that you read in the Old Testament. A good definition of humility is to have a proper evaluation of yourself before God. True humility is to realize who God is and who we are before God. And see, as we come to God, we realize, man, he's holy. He's just. He's perfect. And then when I evaluate myself, I realize I'm not holy, I'm not perfect, I'm not just, I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved by God's grace. I realize that everything I have, everything I am, is by God's grace and by my faith in that alone. By my faith in the gospel, I am what I am. I'm a new creation in Christ. Not because of anything I've done or because of what I've, you know, I've achieved, but because of what Christ has done for me. This mindset is in contrast to pride, which boasts on how good we are and how much we have because of how much we do. Paul, Paul calls this self-deception. He says, you're believing, you know, you're believing a terrible lie if you think that everything you have is, is based upon you and what you do. If you think you're really something, Paul says, you're just lying to yourself. You need to recognize who you really are, which is a sinner saved by grace. Verse 4, but let each other examine his own work, and then we will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. So this verse gives us the root of pride and the remedy for humility. First, the root of pride. The root of pride is to, is to compare ourselves with others. You see, when I compare my life and my ministry to others, I can always find someone that I'm doing better than. And so I think, oh, I'm doing pretty good, right? You start getting puffed up and start thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm the best thing since sliced bread, or, or the printing press, or whatever, what, you know, whatever example you want to use. But the remedy to humility is to examine our work before the Lord. As I sit with the Lord and I allow Him to search me and know me, it brings me back to reality. I like that old saying. It says, when you look at the other ships around you, you can't really tell how far you have drifted from shore. You know, and, and, and the same thing for you. Know, when I look at others and I look at, you know, others and, and what they're doing, I'm comparing myself to others. The Lord says, you don't realize it, but you're actually drifting away. But as we come to the Lord, as we keep our gaze upon Him, and our eyes upon Him, He evaluates us, and then we have a true evaluation of ourselves for Him. It, it brings to us to true humility. Not just humility, but true praise and worship. It, gives, it allows us to give glory to God because then we realize, okay, Lord, what I'm doing is ultimately for You, and so I'm going to praise You in this. I'm not going to try to seek praise and attention from others in what I'm doing. Verse 5, "...for each one shall bear his own load." Now, part of our inventory that we'll examine as we sit before the Lord is how I'm bearing my load that I have in Christ. Now, what's this load that Paul's talking about? Well, it's different than the burden that he mentioned here in verse 2. And often people say, wait a second, Paul's contradicting himself. In verse 2, he says that we're to bear each other's burdens. And now in this verse, Paul says, bear your own burden. But Paul's not contradicting himself, because I'm told by scholars that Paul actually used two different Greek words here. One Greek word referring to a heavy load, something that, that can't be bared by oneself in verse 2, and then a person's normal, normal load um, in this verse. The normal load was used to refer to a soldier's pack that every soldier was to carry. So every soldier has a responsibility, right? They've got to be able to carry their own pack. In the same way, that's what Paul's talking about here. Each one of us has responsibilities in Christ. Each one of us has a life to live for the Lord, and we're called to bear that, that burden. Now, there's good news about that, because Jesus in Matthew 11 says that His yoke is easy and His burden is light. And also, He promises us that He'll yoke Himself together with us. He'll lead us through this life. Not to be disrespectful in any way, but the Lord has been called the strong ox. You know, as the two oxen were yoked together, the strong ox will lead the plow and the same thing for you and I. The Lord is the strong one. He is the one who goes before us and gives us victory. He's the one who leads us, in the path of still waters, right? He's the one who restores our soul. And so we have a burden that we're to bear, and that's our own load, our own responsibility. And the Lord promises that He will give us strength to do it. And if we feel like our burden is too great, well, then pray. Have others pray for you. You know, and that's when we seek um, others in, in, in the body of Christ. Question four. In verses 6 to 10, are we walking in generosity? Are we walking in generosity? Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. So there's a principle in scriptures. It says, to whom much is given, much is required. For example, we've been, said, or we've been told in scripture that if we've been forgiven, then we must also forgive. If we've been shown mercy, then we must also show mercy. If we're loved, we also must love. In the same way, if, if we've been given spiritual blessings by God and His Word, well, then we're responsible to give back to the Lord in worship. Now, this verse basically teaches that you and I, as believers, are, are, have a responsibility to donate to the ministries that we're plugged into and where we hear the Word of God. This money goes to support the ministry, so the Word can, can continually be taught, but also it's our proper response to the Lord's grace to us. And so there's two. There's a practical reason, obviously. Ministry needs to continue to happen, and and, um, we live in a you know material world. I'm not a material girl, but you know, (laughs) you know. I mean, we live in a material world, and and so you know, you know. There's a requirement for for the ministry to continue to function in that way, and also to be able to expand and be able to function more effectively. And the way God does that is by putting it on believers' hearts, and as they respond to the Lord. You give, and, and, and the Lord continues his ministry. But more important than that, more important than that is we have a proper response to what the Lord has done for us. You see, if a church has to pound the pulpit because people aren't giving, well, then there's really a bigger problem than the fact that people aren't giving. The Bible says where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And so, you know, and, and so that there, there's really a bigger problem behind it. You know, if people don't want to pray, there's a bigger problem than the fact that people just don't like to come out and pray. It's, it's a fact that people don't want to pray. And so, and, so, you know, and, so, and so the Lord says, hey, listen, we need to respond to this. As the Lord is working in our heart by grace, as He's speaking to us, well, then we need to respond to His Spirit. Now, the Bible doesn't give us an amount to give. The Bible says that we need a purpose in our heart, what the Lord is calling us to give. We're not under the law. We're under love. And we're not led by the law, we're led by the spirit. And so we need to seek the Lord by his spirit and by his love and and for him to reveal to us how much we're to give. Now the scripture teaches that we're to give regularly, joyfully, and sacrificially. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will reap um, um, corruption, But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so Paul in these verses is talking about giving our lives to the Lord. So just as we saw a spiritual principle, to whom much is required much is given, there's another spiritual principle here, and that is what we apply our life to, that is the results that we're going to get. Now in this context, Paul is talking about Giving. Because what he just talked about in verse 6. But it has an application to a wider context, our entire spiritual life. Now, put simply, here it is. If you live for carnal things, in the end, you'll reap corruption. It's all going to burn, right? But if we live for spiritual things, if we apply our life to Christ and we live our life for the kingdom of God, well, then in the end, we'll reap eternal things. It's been said there's one life we live and it's, it'll soon be past. but all the things that we do for Christ will last. In the end, when we stand in front of the Lord, we'll be rewarded for those things. And so this really should shape our mindset as we talk about giving and and living for the Lord. You know, we need to realize that there's a bigger picture behind it. And the fact that these things that we do for the Lord are going to last, they're going to be more important. And so it should direct us and, and guide us. First time, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now, this verse reminds me of what James told the believers in his epistle. They were persecuted, they were discouraged, they were growing weary. And listen to what James told them here. It's a good encouragement for us as Christians. He says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it, it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job, and seen the end intended by the Lord. That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And so, like you know, the prophets in the Old Testament, like the farmer, we're to be patient and wait on the will of the Lord. We must not grow weary in well-doing. So just as a farmer must not grow weary because of the hot summers, lack of water, right? Or the cold winters, but you know, you know, we're all to continue to press forward and seek the Lord and look forward to the Lord's soon coming because it is then when we'll receive our investment. As we invest in the kingdom of God, it is then that we'll receive the harvest, the fruit of our labor as we stand in front of him arrayed in righteousness before his judgment seat. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. So the word therefore is a summary word. It sums up all that Paul has previously said thus far. And so here's what he's saying. He's saying, in light of the fact that we're going to receive, receive eternal rewards and blessings for giving, well, let's do it. Let's do it. As we have opportunity, jump on it whether we have opportunity to minister to those outside the church or those inside the church. He said, let us do good to all. And so that would mean to all people, to all men. Now, there is a priority level in this, in our giving. We're to prioritize, we're to give to the Lord's work first. Because he says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so, yes, as a believer, our focus and our priority needs to be to church to believers and that's what we see in the Gospels with Jesus his focus was on his disciples he would draw away from away from the, the crowd he would reveal truth to them he would pour his life into them he would equip them but yet Jesus never neglected those who were hurting he never lacked to show compassion from those who were suffering the Lord poured out and he was gracious to them in the same way for you and I as believers we're to give to the work of the Lord and we're also to, to reach out and to give in compassion to those around us. And as we do, the Bible says we'll be blessed. The Bible says we'll receive this eternal reward. Now, question five, in verse 11 through 14, are we walking in purity of heart? See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they would not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So Paul here, once again, draws up this example between himself and the Judaizers. He doesn't want the Galatians to forget about these guys. He says, yeah, I'm applying this to your life, but wait a second, don't forget about those guys here. He was sincere about it. He wanted, you know, he wanted them to to walk in the grace of God. And he demonstrates that by the fact that he signed this letter with his own hand. Now, some say Paul maybe had an eye disease, and so someone else wrote this letter as he dictated it to them, and then Paul takes the letter at the end and signs it with large letters to show that, hey, look, I'm Paul, I'm putting my signature on it. Others say, well, it could refer to the fact that Paul writes in bold letters here, guys, I'm signing this. This is an important document. I want you um, to read this and, and apply it to your life. But whatever it was, it was definitely a contrast. You see, the Judaizers, they didn't really care about the believers. All they carried, cared about was their own glory. All they cared about was that they lived a best life now kind of thing. They would, they would have written that book, The Best Life Now. You know, They only wanted to live the best life now to be puffed up in the eyes of men, to receive the things of this world rather than, than the things of God. And Paul says, in contrast to them, he lived in sincerity, in purity, and he loved them. He truly cared for them. And he didn't want it both except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said that he died to the world. He was crucified you know, from the world. He, you know, he gave his life to the Lord, and, and the world was basically dead to him. That kind of thing. You're dead to me, Paul would be able to say. You know, he, he, you know, and that's the way he lived. His desire was for the Lord and for his glory alone. As he stood in front of him, he would hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Now question six in verses 15 through 18. Are we walking as a new creation in Christ? For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. For as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And so you and I are a new creation in Christ. We're told in Corinthians that the old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. And that's a great thing. Because before we were in Christ, we were wretched sinners, right? But the Lord has changed us. He's renewed us by His Spirit. You know, He's changed us by His grace. And Paul demonstrates how, you know, he um, sees it here. He says that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation, And so Paul, before he was a Christian, only focused on legalistic things. I mean, he was the guy who persecuted the church. He was concerned about whether a person was circumcised or uncircumcised. He was concerned about whether a person was keeping the minute details of the law and all the traditions of the elders. But now, his focus was on the things of God. And the things of God are the things that bring mercy and peace. And all those who walk in this rule and follow Paul's example will walk in mercy and peace. And in peace. and that's the example that we need to follow as we walk with the Lord. Now notice Paul's statement here, upon the Israel of God. Now some have taken this here and they've said, well look, the church has replaced Israel. And so the church is now the Israel of God. But Paul wasn't saying that at all. You see, the, uh, the Galatians were primarily Gentile. And so he wrote this letter to them. But there were also Jewish Christians and they would be referred to as the Israel of God. You see, throughout the scriptures, God has always had a godly remnant of grace, even during the times of the prophets. Pretty much the nation as a whole turned away from God, and they were living in sin, but God still had his godly remnant, the people who were truly following his word and following his will, and that principle didn't change even in the New Testament. You see, the nation as a whole turned their back on God. They were living in sin, They were seeking to come to God in a different way, just as they were in the times of Jeremiah when they were seeking false prophets and idols. In the same way, during Paul's time, the Jews as a whole, they were seeking to come to God through the law in a false way. But yet there was a godly remnant according to grace. They were truly seeking God by his will and by his ways. They were people who received the Messiah and came to God just as Moses said, in the book of Deuteronomy. They were following the words of Moses. They were truly walking according to um, his word. And so it's it's referring to believers, Jewish Christians here. While they might be ethnic Israel, they are the true Israel because they're following the word of God in the ways of God. Verse 17, from now on, let no one trouble me for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I love that. So Paul, you know, If you came to your church and you looked at him, you would know, man, that this guy lived a life surrendered for Christ, that he lived as a new creation with the Lord. I mean, in 2 Corinthians, Paul goes through and he talks about all these different things that he received, stripes and and beatings and shipwrecks. You can just look at Paul and know that his life was surrendered to him, that he was walking as a new creation. Well, in the same way for you and I, we must demonstrate this. Now, that, you know, that doesn't mean that we need to go out and get beat up all the time. I mean, hey, if, if it happens to us, well, praise the Lord, right? You're like Paul. You can bear in your body. Let no one trouble me kind of thing. I, I have worse scars. But in a spiritual way, we're to be able to, to do this as well. As, you know, as, we, as we walk with the Lord, we're to, to live for Him and, and allow these things that God does in our life and through our life, bear witness of the fact that we're His new creation. Verse 18, brethren... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So the epistle began with grace, and it ends with grace. So in summary of this epistle, Paul showed us the defense of the messenger and his message of grace. He shows us the defense of the gospel of grace. And finally, in the end, he applies God's grace to our life. And so one day we're going to stand in front of the Lord, and this life is going to soon be, fa- uh, be passed, and all that we do for Christ will last. Let's live for the Lord and for his glory, and by his grace go I. Amen.